Welcome to episode 26 of the Cincy Postcast. Now look, I get it, I get it. It's a long one, but my goodness, there is a lot going on in this episode. You've got the New York Red Bulls review of this game. There are player signings. We signed a new goalkeeper. Brandon Vasquez got his extension. We have one of my favorite interviews so far, Andrew Wiedemann. Always good to get insight on sort of the the good old days of FCC. He also confirms a very long-standing conspiracy theory I've had. It's a fantastic interview. And then we wrap it up with what has to be my favorite version of Soccer Block Book Club. It is Nordeca-themed, so get hype. All of that and more is your Postcast Episode 26. Joining me to discuss all of that. I don't know how we're going to fit it in. Hopefully you enjoy this four-hour podcast we're about to record. I've got two gentlemen who may or may not have to maybe potentially reveal their faces at a live show. Have we really thought this through that we're using sort of, dare I say, some... uh, I I don't know how much I'm allowed to give away here, but we're ready to marry some names with faces here, boys? I mean, (laughs) as long as it's in audio form, I mean... The whole exercise is just to prevent Google from <laughs> for being honest at this point. Talk about like the least like the most anticlimactic reveal of all time. It's the scene from Jurassic Park. We got Dotson over here. <laughs> I think we'll uh, we'll have Joseph Mamey running around with cups of water, throwing it at phones as they come up. I think that's how the live show. Ooh, gonna I go. like that. No, no filming the live show. Yes, Ke- Kevin. You know, um, you know very well. That um, anything you have to say about this supposed quote unquote live show can be said to my representation. (laughs) And I'll have no no further comment on that. I'll have uh, Trump's lawyers write you something. Um, And (laughs) I don't know if you'll ever get it. When you when you when you can find people that are going to be his (laughs) lawyers. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, But I mean, we, we mentioned it here. The post as in the Sensi Postcast, along with Knifey Lion Radio. We got the go-ahead today, uh, doing a live pregame show from Northern Row at 4 p.m. on Saturday, the day of Hell is Real. So come on down, grab a beverage. Uh, I don't know exactly what the format's going to be, but ask us a question. Um, I don't know. If you if you listen to this podcast at all, I think you'll have fun with it. So uh, come on down. It'll be a good time to pregame. It's also my understanding that uh, there Wanting to get some of these pregame activities going a little earlier uh, to the stadium uh, on Saturday. So you might as well start your pregame a little earlier with us. So we'll get to it. Of course, I'm joined by uh, the Chief and Grayson, two gentlemen who suffered through the referee show that was the New York Red Bulls FC Cincinnati 1-1 draw. And you know what? This week we're going to lead off with officiating because (laughs) what else are you going to talk about with this fucking game? It was... The, we tried the so reps, hard. <laughs> yeah, the, obviously, everyone thought that the people that paid tickets, all 10, 20 of them that paid tickets to go see it, Red Bull Arena, they obviously paid to see the officiating. They paid to mm-hmm. watch VAR do its magic. That's the whole show here. So let's talk about that. That's where we're at with this team uh, now at this point. 
I mean, the the conspiracy theories write themselves at this point, right? I mean, Matt Miazga has a clean goal that is scrutinized to the square inch on VAR. And then on the flip side, not, what was it, uh, just 10 minutes later, the the New York Red Bull is called for a foul. It goes to the monitor, of course. The Zapruder film reveals Junior Moreno's foot was there a hair too late or too early. I don't remember exactly how that foul went, but uh, yeah, getting called for the foul and the penalty. Just, I mean, come on. Why Why the scrutiny on FC Cincinnati's goal? Why take every opportunity to flip? I will say, originally a foul called against Red Bull. If it had been a no call or an advantage, I don't think they'd review it. Maybe they oh, still they'd have reviewed do. it. They'd yeah. have reviewed it because it's you us. So? They yeah. would have reviewed it because it's us at this point. Yeah. And it's like, the problem is, is uh, in the abstract, I don't have a problem with this VAR. And if you watch the video, does he make contact early? Yeah, probably. Um, but I've also seen that not called. Yes. I've also seen that not sent to VAR. And it's hard to ignore the fact that last week, on a goal, they didn't send the play to VAR on a close play. Didn't even look at it. They say he was probably onside admit after the match that even they weren't certain as to what had happened. But on this one, on another close call, this time they sent it to VAR, and both times we get screwed on it. So, I mean, I don't know what conclusion you're supposed to draw from these two incidents like this. It's it's whatever outcome is going to negatively impact FC Cincinnati. And then on top of that, that just it felt like they were looking for a reason to disallow Matt Miazga's goal. There was nothing even remotely wrong with that. He didn't come back from an offside position. He was onside at all points during that play. There was no inkling of anything that you could even possibly speculate as to what they were looking at. And we'll never know because there's no transparency with officiating in this league where they're not required to answer questions of why did you hold the game up watching that Miazga goal over and over again. So without that transparency, what what other conclusion are you supposed to draw on this? So they made a movie about whether FC would go a single week without the ref stealing points from them. It's called Nope. <laughs> um, well, but, well done. But, well done. But yeah, I mean, so so does does Moreno contact the guy? Sure. But also, to me, that's entirely beside the point. Because, you know, you think about, like, um, it's like if you're it's like it's like if you're speeding on the highway, right? And nobody sees you or catches you, and nobody's around you. You sped, and nothing happened, right? Right. But if you're speeding and you crash into somebody, and like you cause a wreck, well, that's a problem, and you know you're going to get some type of some type of penalty from that. Well, maybe this was a foul. It had no impact on what was going on with the play at the time at all, right? And so right. if you're going to call the if you're going to call like what I would say is off-ball kind of ancillary stuff that's happening on the all around the box, then you either call every single thing like you look in VAR every inch of the box at all the time to see if somebody's tugging somebody off-ball doing any of that or you just make a judgment call like they used to be able to. And, you know, frankly, still can, even though it's, you know, technically they're supposed to be bound by the by the video. But 
we know that they make these judgment calls, right? Yep. Yeah. Or you just make a judgment call and say, like, it is absolutely insane to give a 0.7 XG opportunity to somebody (laughs) who's not threatening the goal, not doing anything that is about to score a goal in its soft contact. Right. Yeah. I mean, of course, the Red I, Bull guy em- embellished it. But like, if you're going to look at that and say that was a foul and it was the right thing to do because it was a foul, then they need to call literally everything. And if they're yes. not calling literally everything, then then we've kind of and everyone knows they're not. Then we're admitting that there is, you know, some judgment going into play here. Like, are they taking away a goal scoring opportunity? You know, and no, but, but they I mean, were absolutely not taking away a goal scoring opportunity with but that it call. Would like be, that, it would be fair if they were both chasing down the ball and, you know, Moreno fouls him and keeps him from winning the ball. But the ball was gone. Right. Yeah. Right. And here's the other thing, too, that the ultimate indictment of that. Is there any chance that that gets called if it's um, Brenner in that situation being kicked a millisecond late? No. Absolutely not. No. I, and I have, I have I'm, stats. I'm reminded. On this. I'm, well, before we get into the sets, I, I just want to say I'm reminded of the foul against Yuya Kubo against Inner Miami, where he was violently shoved off the ball at the very end of the game. A play that had it been reviewed, if we're going to review these sort of like weird quasi off the ball, besides the point, not really super impactful uh, calls, by the book, it was a blatant and flagrant foul. It was full arms extended, could have even been a yellow card. Uh, if that goes to VAR, FCC wins that game. It's not even a penalty. Not even asking for a penalty. Just asking for if we're going to analyze everything, analyze everything. Well, you have to take so Miami's. Yes. You have to take Miami's goal away, because not only right. did he foul him, but Iguain also kicked the ball out there, and Miami yes. was wrongly awarded a goal kick that they ended up, you know, a little bit later scoring off of. If they're not awarded the ball there, Miami loses right. the game four to three. You know, and yep. so all right, hit me with them stats. So I. Everyone kind of feels right, like we're we're not getting the benefit of any of these close calls. They're looking for anything to, um, yes, factual to take away from us. And I just think it's interesting that FC has given up the most penalties in MLS and has been awarded only three. FC Cincinnati has given up nine penalties and been awarded three. Um, New York Red Bulls, New York City FC, and LA Galaxy have all been awarded the most. Um, huh. Huh. And That's weird. New York That's Red Bulls odd. and NYCFC have both only given up one penalty. That's incredible. Okay. Huh. Man, there's there they season. must they must be incredible at defense. That's unbelievable. So, and then the the other the, the teams in the bottom 7 in penalties given up in MLS are the two New York teams, the two LA teams, Toronto, Atlanta, and Portland. Are those oh all my are those God. all are those all big markets? Are those all major markets that are important to MLS's right, like ratings? MLS Do they get the highest TV ratings? ratings? Curious. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, huh. the weird outlier stat here, and I have an it's explanation New for it. It's, it's New England, right? Well, so <laughs> an outlier stat is uh, LAFC has only been awarded three penalties. But okay. my explanation for that is unlike these other teams, uh, LAFC actually likes to score by playing football. That ah, is true. Yeah, so they don't need to they, – they actually try to score. They don't 
fall down and right. flop they, around. They play like a with fish. the ball and they right. you know generate generate opportunities and score goals that way. Yes, what what they lack in penalties, they they more than make up in goals. I do have to wonder and fake defense. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Well, of right. course. Uh, Brenner Vasquez Lucho, uh, statistically, at least going into this past week, the best attacking trio in MLS. Uh, guys who have you know an insane number of touches inside the penalty box in the final third. It's insane that they have generated just three penalties. Like that is that is insane. And I think didn't all of them For- come at like at the beginning of the year? Like I think it's been a while since we've had one. Unless I'm forgetting something a, recently. It's it's been a minute and also Vasquez for the majority of this season has been one of the best forwards at drawing fouls. It's just miraculous yes, he loses that, it. Uh, that some somehow <laughs> that when he gets to the eighteen yard box, that ability just it vacates like he can't do it. It's kinda like that's Krypton or it's kryptonite or whatever right. the fuck it is for him as Superman, that they must place a little bit of that kryptonite at the spot right there. And then right, his powers right. just evaporate. His powers of drawing contact. Oh, just super frustrating. It's just it, another game where the storyline is the referee. And I, I mean, we're not talking about Matt Miazga scoring on his you know first return trip to the New York Red Bulls, a game that he said he was super hyped for and wanting to be a part of. And I mean, he's already scored a goal, so that's fantastic. Uh, he's, but he's the, the, fantastic tu- the tough part of this is that, like, objectively speaking. Going on the road to Red Bull Arena yes. against the top four team and getting on a, getting a draw, getting a point—that's objectively a good result. The problem it, is, is that we've been hosed out of so many points this season by bad officiating that it's made games like that a must-win game. That is, yeah. it's made that game into a game where they needed to come out of it with three points because you're starting to run out of fixtures for the remainder of the season, and everybody knows where that line is that we kind of need to get to. If we think this team's going to be a playoff team, like 45, 46 points. And with every mm-hmm. game that passes where we're not pulling three points down, it gets a lot harder to see us making that line. And yeah, it's, it's, it sucks that we can't celebrate a road draw, but they've sucked the joy out of us by fucking us at home on some of these calls. I did yeah. read a, I did read a headline, um, about the Matt Miazga goal. It wasn't, it wasn't much of one. It was, uh, in the Sierra Club Times, I didn't think he'd be a reader of that. That doesn't sound like it's pretty on brand. <laughs> well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he was the target target reader here, but it was a uh, you know bad Miazga, FC Cincinnati defender celebrates goal by gross fascist celebration of natalism. <laughs> <laughs> well done. That one was not pre written. I'm sorry. It would have been a little bit better, but I just. <laughs> No, it worked. It worked. It worked. <laughs> so, congratulations oh to, to Matt Miazga for right. You know, doing what he doing what he had to do. Oh yeah. And I mean, you know, what what was his backup plan if he hadn't scored for a birth announcement? Because I mean, you know, oh, that he has this like th- this planned goal celebration. Like, was was this goal? Did this get him out of having to do one of those cheesy like videos with his significant other? It's like, no, 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 no. We don't need to have this stage production. I'll go score a goal and I'll pretend to give birth to the soccer ball on the field. He's that'll, gonna, <laughs> that'll do. I do I do think he's going to wait for a home game and try to score so that the uh, Bailey smoke can be the gender reveal. <laughs> That'd be an incredible way to do a gender reveal yeah. if you're a player. I mean, talk about putting pressure on yourself. I got to score a goal before 
<laughs> before the baby's born. But the what Bailey, does, the Bailey's really hoping mean? for a boy, just so yeah, just so Is we don't it, have to go buy more smoke. What, what, what does what does orange mean? Oh, we're not assuming the gender. Right. It hasn't told us yet. Yeah, orange orange is the default position. Or like we just uh, we go through one of those goalless routes, and it's like, well, we got to set all this pink smoke off sometime, I guess. So fuck it. Hopefully, they aren't playing Miami. Right, yeah. right. Oh my gosh. So uh, the draw leaves FC Cincinnati weirdly as far out of the playoff race as they've been in a while in ninth place, but that is tied on points uh, with New England in eighth. One point ahead is the Columbus crew and a point ahead of them on 36 points. So that is just two points ahead of FC Cincinnati. You have Inter-Miami and Orlando. Uh, That means everything to play for against Columbus, which we will talk about in part three of this game. And if you want to take away away something positive, it was that this was probably one of the best games the back line has played uh, with the addition of Miazga. I thought Jeff Cameron had probably one of his best games in an FC Cincinnati uniform. Played really, really well. Um, For a guy that's been struggling to make it the full 90 and keep up his his performance level. So, I mean, that was good. And if if this is what the defense in the back line looks like with Miazga integrating, I mean, you had the MLS clean sheet, the one goal conceded. um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And... You have to walk away from that game. Other than the horse shit officiating, you have to walk away from that game thinking, okay, you had a down game from Vasquez, Brenner, and Lucho. They didn't have their best game, I don't think. Um, and you Barial kind of got invisible for long stretches of the game, which is not a not a new thing for him, but certainly not something you hope repeats itself. But the, if the goal of Miasa coming in was to settle the back line, the back line seemed pretty settled against a New York team that that baits you into a lot of mistakes, and they didn't get baited into any bad mistakes in this game, I thought. So it's positive. I know they're bunched up in the standings, but you have to at least look at this team and think, well, they're at least trending the right direction from on-field performance, I would have to say. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I'm doing like that weird, fake body language expert stuff, but you know, you, you see Miazga like, you know, doing the pointing and the gesturing and the communication with Cameron and the communication with Barrial, which I assume is in Spanish because Matt Miazga, we know, can speak Spanish. Um, I it's it, it feels like, and again, this is like fake body language vibes voodoo here. But it does, it does <laughs> yes. feel like that you've got like an experienced, another experienced active person on the back line who was making everybody else better, not just through their personal play, but through the things that it requ- that are required to actually organize a back line. Yes, absolutely. No, I, and it, 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 I thought that they, they didn't concede a ton of chances that I would consider to be like, Oh my God, these were defensive breakdown chances. Did New York do some good stuff? Yeah, they did some good stuff, but they're, they're a top four team for a reason. And yeah, they went on the road. They held serve with them. And the only reason that we're not celebrating it is, A, VAR again, and B, just that this team has dropped, I guess this game would technically count as that now, has just dropped so many points from winning positions that the hour's getting late to rack the point totals up that they need. But it's 
take nothing away from it in the abstract. I think as Grayson said, we're a, we're a process podcast. So I thought the process in terms of what the team could control for a road game like this was pretty damn good. Which And it sucks yeah. that once again we find ourselves here wondering why in the hell pro referees is spending five minutes, ten minutes of time analyzing Miazga's goal like it's a fucking Zapruder film. I just I don't get it. <laughs> oh no, for sure. I I mean I I am heartened by the uh, the backline's performance. I'm looking ahead at the schedule. This is interesting. We, we've got like what nine games here. We've got Columbus coming up. Obviously, that's a big one. It's a doozy. After that, it's Charlotte, New York City FC, San Jose, Salt Lake City, Seattle Sounders, Chicago, DC United. Of those games, of those teams, Columbus. Solid, right there with us. New York City, very good team, but a very different team since Tati left. And Salt Lake City is a uh, solid team out west. I I believe they are right around a home playoff position uh, out west. Other than that, I mean... Some bad teams we're going to be playing. San you Jose, have to be, DC United. You Seattle have to Samos? beat Charlotte. You have to beat San Jose. You have to beat DC. And then yeah, that, what, because that, puts you, that puts you where 30, 43, 43 points. And 43 then that points. means that means you have to probably to make the playoffs win one of those West Coast games or draw both of them to forty five. Like that's yeah. So yeah. like that. I remember we did the when we had Pat Brennan on a while ago. We said where is sort of like the linchpin in the season. It still is, to me, shaping up to be that rescheduled Seattle game where if you manage to win two games going into that, then that could potentially be that third win of four that you would need really to probably lock a playoff spot up and set yourself up for the D.C. match being for all the marbles, where win and you're in against Washington. Kevin, um, what's yeah. the what's the date of the Seattle game? The, seventh, so this, the 24th, I think, 23rd, something 27th, like that. 27th, uh, 10 days prior, Salt Lake City at Salt Lake City, at Seattle on the 27th. Uh, that's a Tuesday, and then a quick Oh, they got that Chivas game in the middle, don't they? So remember, <laughs> Damn. That, Damn. remember that if there's any, any justice or meritocracy in the world, we will not have Brandon Vasquez for the Seattle game. Because he will be with the national team. I think the window is the night. Oh, wow. The night. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I, so, someone, somebody listening to this will know this answer and they'll know that I'm wrong. But I'm almost positive the window ends on the 27th and I think it starts directionally the 19th. Yeah, it, the tough thing is with how tight Columbus is a draw wouldn't be the end of the world you still leave a lot of options open but a loss it like just catapults Columbus up quite a bit higher and it just makes the job so much harder and Grace just to confirm your scenario there uh the Seattle Sounders game is on Tuesday September 27th the FIFA window ends Tuesday September 27th also the U.S. men's national team plays Saudi Arabia in Saudi Arabia on Tuesday September 27th it's in it's in Europe I think it's in. I don't think it's in Saudi Arabia. It? I think it's okay, in. Okay. I think it's in Europe. I'm pr- even still, somewhere in Spain. Or yeah, something, but I'm positive. The it's Saudi Europe. Arabia game is the exact same 
day. Yeah. The, so, the Concord yes. has been grounded for two decades. There's no way he's making it back. <laughs> he's definitely not making it back. And but potentially, I, I've, I've he scores off. a hat trick in the first game, and they release him back to the club. And you know, he, he locks up his place, and they don't need him in the second game. But but if if they take care of business, they don't they don't need to get a result from the Seattle game. I know Seattle's right. been down, but like it's going to be very challenging for them mm-hmm. with having a, a away game against uh, Salt Lake, uh, you know, about a week and a half before. It's like a 10 p.m. Eastern time game in yeah. Seattle. Yeah. They have that weird midweek Chivas game, which yeah, you so hope like- they manage. So the, the Seattle was going to be really tough regardless of who you have. So just, I just hope that they don't, they that they just take care of business, so they don't need anything out of that game. So bear with me on this. Was there a time this summer where Chris Albright was doing the Doctor Strange in uh, the uh, Infinity War, where he's like, I've calculated all of the possibilities, and we only win in one of those. And that's why I go and get Sergio Santos, so that I have a striker <laughs> for that Seattle game that I have to win while Brandon Vasquez is on international duty, locking up his spot for the World Cup, and that he has foreseen all these possibilities, and that we're really in the end game right now, and that's what we're doing on our quest to make boy. the playoffs for the first time as a franchise. <laughs> boy, boy, would that be something. Because, you know, Santos is uh, back training with the team. Yeah? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that, like, it all uh, comes together in that moment. Santos is starting, Matarita is back, and, like, that's the result that pushes us forward because – Albright has seen everything, and he's worked all the scenarios out. <laughs> oh, my God. So good. Um, I mean, speaking of that, yes, we got the news immediately after we hit publish on the podcast last week. Uh, Ronald Matarita, as my cat attacks me. I don't know what just happened there. Uh, Ronald Matarita is back training with the team uh sounds like he could still be a few weeks away uh he was getting uh looked at new york i think or or maybe that uh, analysis is still yet to come uh but he is inching ever closer to being back here he could very well be a part of whatever a playoff push uh here looks like um i mean Having Mata in this team and Barial as a super sub just unlocks so much more of what this team is capable of. It's it's hard not to get a little excited about what we're looking at. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Brandon Vasquez signed a new deal. How about that, hey, guys? How, hey, how about how that? About that? <laughs> as, uh, two as two new signings. Two new signings in the player department. Yes, Vasquez signed the extension. Grayson called it. Uh, didn't even need to invoke the option. Uh, so that is fantastic. And then, of course, the uh, we have, I think, a fourth string keeper that was signed. Probably uh, third I they're right say now. Third keeper. But we still have Khan and Celentano and Vermeer. Vermeer so is season-ending in injury. Did he? Yes, guys. Vermeer is off. Vermeer. Vermeer is no longer. Uh, Vermeer has been designated. He's no longer taking up a roster spot. So we we hit like his his contract Damn. counts against our our cap. Sure, but, um, but he's off the roster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I 
I got to say, I'm just excited that we have a, a bona fide star uh, at this point locked up for a while. I think, Grayson, you were saying estimated salary somewhere around a million bucks. He certainly wasn't being advertised as a DP, so that frees up that space in the future. And yes, I mean, the, the sell-on fees will have to be pretty large, given or the, the transfer fee will have to be pretty large, given how long this uh this deal is and if he just continues to be a top end MLS striker without too much interest overseas I mean we're, we're paying a pretty penny for it but I, I think he'll have a a long happy career here in Cincinnati if for whatever reason it uh the move abroad doesn't work but I'm gonna go ahead and assume he makes this US men's national team uh this September and and finds his way playing in Europe sooner rather than later yeah, so I, I I want to be clear, like that that million dollar number is just speculation based on, you know, the the fact that I think that I think that it's not an accident that both Pat and Laurel mentioned in their articles about the extension that Vasquez was the only attacker at the All Star game making less than a million dollars. I just yeah I I just don't think I just don't think that's a coincidence. Uh, I'm not saying that whatever i'll just i'll just leave that there um yeah but you think about it right like we have a lot of bad contracts on this team right now so he's just getting money that this season is committed to players like blackett cruz kubo right so it's it's not something that really ties us that that ties our hands next season because we have we still have plenty of, of of roster flexibility to play with um Brandon's happy you have him locked in. Um I don't think his production is a is a fluke. I mean maybe like he doesn't generate European interest and you have a decision after the next 3 seasons of whether he's worth picking up whatever his option is. But I don't think anybody would really complain um about having a striker of Brandon's quality um yeah in your roster guaranteed let's see it's through it's guaranteed through 2025 so yeah the next three seasons and yeah and I do think it it, I do think it increases the value that you have uh for a transfer because if um so let's let's say he is making a million dollars which is as a round number um yeah that would be like a high salary in Mexico, not unheard of. And it wouldn't be impossible for him to get a raise from some of the teams in Mexico. And in Europe, any team that would give you a decent transfer fee is also the type of team that's gonna that's gonna, you know, not have any problem paying Vasquez a seven figure salary and giving him some kind of raise. Yeah. You know, so he gets he gets like an MLS type type raise now. And if he keeps it up, if he gets in the national team, if he sh- shows out at the World Cup, if he has another season next year like this season, then, you know, it everybody benefits. We get we get a big transfer fee that we get to convert a little more than a million dollars of into GAM, and Vasquez, you know, gets another gets another big payday. Yeah. Wins oh. all around. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um so yeah, that's going to do it for part one. Part two, I mean, 
this this was awesome. This was this was an opportunity to talk to a uh, like I said, I start this this interview off uh, a folk a folk hero here in Cincinnati. We have the one and only Andrew Wiedemann to join us on the podcast. A really fun conversation goes in a whole bunch of different directions. I think people are really really going to enjoy that. Uh, following the interview, uh, part three, we're going to talk a little hell is real week. So uh, buckle up, uh, it's rivalry week, folks. So. We'll dive into that, but enjoy this interview first. Oh, here we are, part two of the postcast. We are joined by a very, very special guest. Uh, we got very lucky that this gentleman happened to download the right social media app at the right time. Serendipity is on our side here. We are joined by the one and only Andrew Wiedemann. Andrew, how you doing tonight? I am doing fantastic. Appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, I appreciate is... I appreciate you checking the DMs. That's really that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't I wasn't expecting to have uh, three grown men slide into my DMs. <laughs> Here we find ourselves, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, I, I was talking to my wife right before this, too. I was like, I think I think I'm nervous. Like, I don't I like, it's weird. Like, we're about the exact same age here. And um, yeah, like you played for the soccer team that I really love. And like, yeah, there's a little bit of nerves on this side, because in my mind, you were you were one of the few players that even up to this point could be considered a, an FC Cincinnati club legend or a, a cult hero, whatever the case is. Do you feel that on your end? Do you feel like the cult hero status on your side? No, I think we're uh, <laughs> we're lowering the bar quite a bit and doing cult heroes. Uh, we're throwing it obviously like that, but but I'll take it. I'll take it. I mean, there's many different degrees of legend. You've got you know even if you're Greek mythology, you've got Zeus all the way up here, and you've got you know all these demigods down there. I mean, at some level, everyone's a legend to something, and. There's worse things to be than an FC Cincinnati legend. I, think. I like that. I like that interpretation, and let's roll with it. Yeah, so right. yeah. <laughs> with, with club legend Andrew Wiedemann here. Let's, I, like <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to jump right to maybe a, a sour point, but my goodness, you you might have gotten a statue built of you if the goal against Chicago Fire had stand had stood, you know, like that was that was your moment. Um, I do have to rat out a teammate of yours, though. Uh, Mitch Hildebrandt was on this podcast not too long ago. He said it was the correct call. Do you have a response? Uh, <laughs> I think I think uh, Mitch owes that referee his his MLS championship ring that he ended up getting. <laughs> <laughs> my way because it was definitely on sides the yellow line doesn't lie and he was able to go and become i think we were talking about cult heroes right and then mitch yes. cult hero he got that status from that game parlayed it into an mls move got a championship ring so um you're welcome i guess yeah no, we, de- we definitely confronted him when he was on the podcast saying the only reason you're saying that is because your moment doesn't happen if that exactly, goal goes in, exactly, exactly. I mean, exactly. you're you're still a club legend, but you're not like a capital L legend without that that, <laughs> that PK performance. You know, you know, you know what though? I think uh, what Scott Van Pelt said that uh, that I, I had a I was a very fit gentleman or something on on uh, late night yep. center. So who's the real winner? You know, who's the real That's winner? True. Yeah, I mean that the, the ripping the, off your shirt that that is like 
peak human performance we are seeing under there. That is like 50% blood, 50% adrenaline running through your body right there. It's, honestly, it's, just, it's so depressing because I was, I thought this was going to be video. So I was looking for backgrounds to go up, right? And I was right, doing right. Me McLaughlin pictures, obviously. <laughs> one of the ones that came up and I'm like, man, I used to be in really good shape. Now I sit in an office and that has gone to hell. So here we are. You, you, you'd agree though, it's kind of bullshit that you get the yellow card for taking your jersey off, that the yellow card should be rescinded if the goal gets called back, right? That's nonsense. Like, if we're calling the goal back, all bets are off. The celebration shouldn't count. Nothing should count then at that point. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't know what, like, the statute of limitations is on VAR, but maybe they could roll that out and, and, and history's changed there. Take my yellow card back. Give me another, give me another goal in the, uh, in the stat column. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um uh, I think before, I mean, we jumped right in. I jumped right in. I will blame myself here. We jumped right in at FCC. I am curious, though. You're, you, you had an interesting start to your career. Um, you signed a Generation Adidas contract back in 2010. What was signing a Generation Adidas contract like back in 2010? Was that a hard decision or was that a pretty easy decision when Adidas called you? Uh, it was easy. It was easy because at the time it was. Um you know, like those, those GA deals are nice because, you know, typically you got a longer guarantee, right? If you're coming out in the draft after your senior year, you're getting, you know, a one plus one plus one plus one in that first year set by guaranteed, meaning you can be cut any day before July 1st and not see a penny more, right? right. So it's nice because you generally get, um, you know, more guaranteed years, right? So I think I had three years guaranteed. So there's more time to develop. Um, Generally speaking, they're just better deals financially as well because they're trying to incentivize you to leave school earlier. Um, and then the other piece is you get you get your school paid for if you go back, right? So you get an education. Oh. Where, like I was on a scholarship at Cal, and um, you know you know that then you're not going to be burdened with having to pay out of pocket, right? So I think at the time they were ten year stipends where you had like a negotiated sum of money that you could go back to school within ten years. Cal was great because they would, if you went pro in your sport, your admission would be satisfied for life. Um, wow. And the idea there is if you play 10 years pro, then you're probably doing all right to where you can, uh, <laughs> yeah, you can go and you can, you can pay tuition in, uh, and board yourself if need be. Right. 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 Um, but I mean, like that was definitely like a factor in me retiring as well. The timing, you know, granted I started out GA and then, you know, finished where I finished, but um, you know, just with the timing as well, it was, I can go back and this is going to be paid for. Cause I think I was at like year eight or nine, um, on that, uh, that grant that I had too. So, mm. so we never, we never had anyone on here that was a generation Adidas player. So I, I'm just curious, like, do you get a call from Adidas while you're in college? Like, do they call you like in the dorm room or at the house and say, Hey, it's Adidas. We want to sign you to a contract. Cause obviously you don't have an agent at that point cause you're still amateur status until that happens. Right. Or did you have an agent when all this went down? Yeah. I mean, uh, the reality the reality is most people are talking to agents at that point right, right. Uh, okay there's there's people that are advising you of the process kind of behind the scenes right now it's uh i mean look men's soccer in the ncaa isn't going to see windfall from you know all of these <laughs> right uh but like that stuff is that was always happening is now just going to be you know out in the forefront and kind of monitored by the market or whatever you want to call it um, so no, that process was, um, I'm, I'm trying to think how it even came into fruition. Like I, I was talking to 
some agents, advisors, you know, how, whatever it was called. And, and, you know, so they brought that to my attention. My college coach also brought that to my attention, right? Mm. It's kind of this like whittling down process where, you know, at the start of the year, you know, they'll go and they'll, um, uh, you know, they'll, they'll basically pull the clubs and say, hey, who would you, you know, be willing to sign, you know, as an underclassman, right? And then as the year goes through, that list gets whittled down, right? And, uh, you know, basically they try to get commitments from clubs, right? Are you going to use your first round pick on this player? Okay, great. We'll go get him signed for this GA class, right? And so it was a process going on, you know, honestly, throughout the three years I was in school, like I had some GA discussions very peripherally my freshman season, which is kind of what got me thinking like, hey, I might actually be able to do this for a living and leave school early. Um, and then, you know, had a good sophomore year was still kind of involved, but obviously nothing came to fruition. And then, you know, finally my junior year was where I was able to actually crack it, get offered the contract. Um, and, but again, like throughout the season, it was kind of like this ongoing thing. Right. Um, I ended up going with the agent that I chose because I appreciated their approach to the thing a lot more, right. In terms of like, you know, just keeping me in the loop as far as what was going on. Right. While there was another group that was, you know, in the running um, that I was considering, but they were a lot more like, Hey, you know, I'm going to hold back. Just let you focus on what's going on here. Um, You know, focus on the season and whatnot. And for me, that wasn't the approach that I wanted. Right. Cause I was super anxious. I wanted to know what was going on. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, Um, yeah. It's your future, obviously. (laughs) I mean, look, there's people though that are like, let me go do my thing. Right. Like leave me the hell alone. I don't want to talk to you. For me, I was like, you know, I like having this inside. I like knowing that like, if I'm doing well, it's being appreciated and there's, you know, potentially going to be some payoff here. Right. So um, yeah, yeah, we factored in the way that I went. So. So going into the super draft, do you know who's going to or have a pretty good idea who's going to take you or is that is that a surprise? No, I mean, it was a lot of uh, a lot happened on the the, the the day of. Right. Like I I think I, I fell. I didn't have like a good combine. Right. And to be fair, like, I mean, obviously, the collegiate game is just kind of going by the wayside anyways. Right. Um, but I, I think there is I mean, an element of like a lot of it is people show up and then it's like, okay, who's playing well this three day, you know, combine right, it in right. Fort Lauderdale when everyone's going out every night anyways. Not play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so I didn't I didn't have a good combine. Um, hmm. you know, looking back on it too, like I was I was really good in front of the box. I was really good at finishing. I wasn't super athletic, right? And that was a big limiting factor for me. Um, and so I definitely slid, I think further than I was probably like projected by the, the pundits. Um, hmm. but, uh, honestly, I don't know this for sure, but I, I'm, I'm sure part of it was, uh, uh, Shellis, Shellis who was the coach at Dallas that drafted me. If I had to guess, he probably didn't know much about me before draft. <laughs> <laughs> he, coached, he coached my college coach, Kevin Grimes at SMU back in the day. And so I'm sure there was an element of that to where like, they were like, all right, well, we're up for, you know, up I don't know, first few picks in the second round, we got to get somebody. And I'm sure Kevin got a hold of him and said, Hey, take a flyer on him. Right. Um, and, and that's probably how that one came to be. Right. That's probably how I ended up in Dallas. <laughs> right. Somebody, somebody made a call to somebody, you know, it's, it's the classic, how I got my first job story. Right. Somebody made a phone call for me. It's so right. funny, right? Because you think, and again, I don't know that for sure, but if I had to guess based on how my early time in Dallas transpired, probably, <laughs> probably accurate. Um, but uh, yeah, it's funny because you think like, oh, like, you know, you think of like you watch Hard Knocks and right, like right. these shows around like the NFL and just how, you know, how uh, 
uh, data driven and how, you know, how into it they are. Right. And then for this, it was probably like, Hey, like, can you do me a solid and, and pick this guy with your second round pick? Right. I mean, you see like when, when y'all came into the league, right. And Philadelphia traded around away, like what, six picks or whatever it was. Like, yeah. The guy, the guy that did that's our general manager now. So the guy that, yeah. <laughs> the guy that fleeced us for all those draft picks is now running the show here. <laughs> you know what though? I respected the hell of, uh, 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 uh I respect the hell out of Philly for, for all of that. Right. Like they were very, you know, look, we have an Academy. We want to develop our own players. This is the identity that we're taking and the path that we're taking. So we're gonna, you know, we're not going to pay any attention to the draft, take all of our picks. Right. Like I respect it. Like there's value yeah. in the draft. You can still get good players. Right. Yeah. I mean, the uh, starting got keeper we got right now, Roman Celentano from Indiana. That's got him in the super player. draft this year. Yeah. Good player. I mean, there's a, there's a guy that's playing every game for Salt Lake. That was like, like what, like the 80th pick or 60th pick or something, right? Like there's value there. Um, but I don't know. It's also nice to have that flexibility. Like let clubs have their own identities, approach it the way that they want to do it, right? So you said that you think the draft is on its way out. Do you think that that's a good thing or a bad thing for MLS that the draft is sort of possibly on its way out? I mean, I don't know if it's on its way out per se, but it's obviously gotten whittled down. You get less guys that contribute every single year through the draft. And it's not a coincidence. Like people are pouring a ton of money into their academies. Right. Um, And the reality is they're signing players younger and younger. And I mean, to be fair, like if you want to make it as a pro, there's going to be guys that go to college and do four years and still come out every once in a while and have a good career. Right. Or sign a GA deal and they have a great career. Right. Um, but like when you're playing the numbers game, like you're going to have a higher likelihood of being a better long-term professional if you're in that environment from an earlier age, right? Which is why you see clubs signing kids at you know 15, 16, 17 years old, right? They're not all going to make it, right? Um, but you know, like if you want to make it as a pro, you're better off being in that professional environment from a very early age, right? Right. And that's that's the way that it's going. That's the way that it's been trending for a while. That's also the reason why you're getting guys like Ricardo Pepe sold for twenty million dollars, right? Uh, like that's you're not you're not fetching those fees uh, for the most part. Like if you're not in that immersive environment early on, right, to where you're playing professional games at 17, 18 years old, right, and developing. Yeah. So. Before we before we leave college, can I ask one last question? Yeah, you were at Cal while Aaron Rodgers was there. Did you ever cross paths with Aaron Rodgers during your time Ooh. at Cal? Uh, I was <laughs> not there when he was there, actually. Oh, oh. Wikipedia yeah. has lied to me. <laughs> Who was the well, now I, now I got to go on this one. Where, where, oh wait, there. Who was the quarterback when I was there? It was someone that was not good. Um, <laughs> like my first two years there, Cal would always start like ranked on like the the periphery of the top 25 and then they'd always have a big win like the first or second week like they'd play tennessee early on and tennessee was right beat them right and then they would just completely shit the bed in like weeks like four and five like they'd get to the edge of like oh man they might crack the crack the top five top 10 here and then just completely lose it. oh man i gotta take my card back here you are correct in fact uh kevin <laughs> Nate Longshore was allegedly the quarterback. Nate and Steve... Longshore and Kevin Riley. Kevin, Kevin Riley. Riley. Kevin Riley. Like that's. I, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know. Uh, defend. <laughs> right. I think he was the one that like. One of those years. It must have been. I'm looking at Wikipedia. It must have been 2007. I think we were like playing up in Oregon State, 
and hopefully people don't Google this because I could just be completely off. <laughs> it's okay. But I just, I just fucked up who the starting quarterback was. So I, it's I, just, okay. I think you remember being at a Buca de Beppo down here in Southern California because we were on the road, I think, playing like UCLA and San Diego State for soccer. And we were all watching this game because we're like, man, like Cal's got a chance to do something here. And, uh, and I, he did something like just insanely not – good <laughs> like a, a ridiculous like interception on like the one yard line or something i, I can't remember what it was but i'm, so sure I'm gonna, try, I'm gonna yeah. try and salvage this question by asking do you have a take on the breakup of the pac-12 then in that case with ucla and usc leaving to go to the big 10 i mean look i don't i don't love it but that's been happening for a long time right where you get all this conference realignment and people are chasing money right so do I blame them for trying to go and run it like a business, which it is for them? No. Do I love what it's doing for the Pac-12 and some of these rivalries? No. Um, I mean, it wasn't like San Diego State that was playing in the Big East for basketball right. or football or something crazy. Nonsense. <laughs> yeah. But I also think like, okay, well, it's good. Like schools have been, you know, running these sports teams like a business for the longest time, right? So I do like that now players are able to go and capitalize on this as well. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So if you could have gotten I, an NIL, what would you what would you have wanted? Would you have been one of the barstool athletes or <laughs> find a local business in town? Yeah, watch that goal, cheesy that, ads. Who's that guy? Book the coldest, the, the, the wide receiver. Dre, Dre Alliance, man. It probably would have been Dre Alliance. We're revolutionizing, <laughs> revolutionizing the drainage industry here. Uh, Weedman beer, maybe. Who knows? Ooh, right. Oh, that's a good one. one. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how that would jive with like you know being underage in college and whatnot, but that would have been a good one. So there's a lot of sympathy I mean, there. I mean, all bets are off with with that much cash on the table, right? That's, that's, uh, true. that's true. So I thought this was funny. So your your career in Dallas ends up you, you're traded to Toronto for Julian de Guzman, who you eventually end up as a teammate with at. Ottawa Fury in the NASL. I thought that was amusing. Did you guys did you guys have a funny word about having been traded for each other and then end up teammates? I don't know if that comes up at training at all. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I think Julian got traded for the uh, for the international spot, and I just got okay. <laughs> for being honest. Uh, no, it is it is funny. I actually completely forgot about that that we ended up. Um, he was he was the man. He was just such a good, humble guy, um, and like and just such a good player as well. Um, this was I think when we went when I was in Ottawa, we went uh, we went to the final that year, but it might have been the semifinal. Like he couldn't be there because he had international duty for Canada, which is just like crazy that you have you know what's supposed to be like you know the second division at the time. And they've got like their semifinal, like on on a FIFA, you know. <laughs> it's very NASL, I will say. Yeah, yeah. Seriously. But uh, but yeah, he he ended up paying for everybody to go to this. Uh, they had like this luxury spa over in uh, like on the other side in, in in Quebec, on the other side of the border. This like really nice place. It's like one of the top spas in North, excuse me, North America, and like not inexpensive and like, but at the time too, for like all of us, right. Where this guy's coming from playing in La Liga and making a ton of money. Right. Absolute Canadian <laughs> legend. And, and we're, you know, scrounging up, right. Trying to get by. Like it was, it was pretty cool that, that he did that. Cause he was away for that game and got us all set up there. So. Oh man. Solid. That's great. Solid behavior from a teammate. <laughs> yeah. Very, very, very solid behavior. But uh, to answer your question, I don't know if we ever actually discussed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I, I am very curious how 
how the pitch came about to you about going from Ottawa, which was, I, I remember, it was a very good team that year in particular. You're in the NASL. What was the pitch like to come to Cincinnati? Who made that pitch to you? Trepidation about going to an expansion team. What what was it like first first finding out that that was that might have been in the works? Uh, it was. I'm trying to think how that came about. It was. Um, so I played and lived with this guy, uh, Sinisha Parapovich, who is now the head coach at Cleveland State, actually, for their men's soccer team. Oh. Um, and so we lived together. He knew Harks from, I want to say, his time at the Red Bulls. And so I think they were talking to him a little bit. Um, and there were a couple other guys that I think they were trying to get from our team there. Um, guy Colin Falvey, uh, who played in, uh, played in the NASL for a while as well in USL. Um, but yeah, so I think Sanisha like kind of mentioned it to me that like, hey, you know, like I've been talking to John about this team that they got coming in Cincinnati. They're supposed to be doing big things there. Like, I think they're going to have a really good, you know, fan base, all of this. Um, you know, he likes you, right? And that was kind of how it was mentioned. And um, so I kind of put that on my agent's radar, right? Because I was trying to figure out what to do. You know, I had just signed a one-year deal in Ottawa. Um, I was debating going back to school at that point too, right? Mm. And, uh, yeah, they got in touch with John and Ryan Martin, and then, I don't know, it ended, I ended up there. <laughs> not, not, not a very compelling story. <laughs> so what, what was that process like coming into a team that had no identity, no previous history, and they just assemble a collection of talent together, and congratulations, you're the guys that we're going forward with. No one's played together. Let's just see what happens. What's that like? Uh, I mean, they did a really, really good job of, like, getting the right – persona together for that first team right like um i think i think ryan martin is a really really good coach he's gone on to i mean the results don't show in loudon um dc second team but like I, I spent a lot of time around that team like they play really really good football they've had a ton of guys that have come through his team and then signed with the first team like i think he's a fantastic coach i think him and john both together just did a really really good job of recruiting guys and motivating people to want to come and actually be a part of something, right? Like that was the appeal. And I think they did a good job of targeting guys that maybe had a chip on their shoulder, right? Um, guys that were, you know, highly touted generation Adidas players and then got drafted by a team that didn't know much about them because their college coach uh, called in a fit. Guys <laughs> like that, right? Um, you know, but, but I mean, like Corbin Bone, right? Corbin who, you know, Corbin, fantastic player. I mean, he's still going strong, right? Um, you know, Ugo, Jimmy, right? Guys that like had kind of had a sniff that had been there like in MLS and then it didn't pan out for one reason or another. Like I think they were really good at targeting those kind of personas, getting them in and then, you know, really being able to kind of get the most out of them, right? And give some confidence as well. Um, so for me, I mean, I was, I was excited to basically get a fresh start, be at a new place, right? I didn't know much about Cincinnati, um, but I was definitely encouraged by what they were um, – you know, what, what, what they were trying to put together there. And it was honestly, it was pretty evident that they were doing things the right way from the beginning too. like, they flew out, you know, they flew out like 10 guys, I think for like an, a, a press release, right? Like the original guys signed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, you were, I was supposed to be a part of that. I passed on it. I had a, <laughs> I had a, I had a niece's birthday. I think it was that I wanted to be a part of because you spent so much time away. Right. So I'm right. like, yeah, 
I, I also so didn't that, think it was going to be in a, a whole thing. So I felt right. kind of like an asshole when everyone else. Went. I also remember <laughs> it was like in a, it was in November too, and I'm guessing it doesn't take much to pass on a trip to Cincinnati in November when you're from California originally. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I'm pretty sure the flight times that they put forward were like terrible, and I was going to have to connect, and it was going to be like. <laughs> 12 hours of to be there for like 20 hours. So This is very funny. So, yes, you're, you were uh, in the first 11 that was signed. I think Austin Berry is technically employee, you know, player number one, the local kid. Um, but they, they had an excuse for you in the original press release that they were waiting on your ITC. And that's why you couldn't be there. So they covered for you pretty well. Yeah, let's go, let's go with that. Let's go with that. <laughs> but the, the flight times between L.A. and Cincinnati do suck. Like, the direct, the direct flights. I'm, I'm, fl- I'm flying next week, and it's like a 6 a.m. leave and then a red-eye back. Oh, but, it, but direct? Direct, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's like, what, four-hour flight then at that point? Yeah, like four and a half. They, so I, had I you, they had you running through like Minneapolis or something like that. Yeah, I think I had to connect. I, I probably had to like drive to Vegas and then kept catching drive. Right. <laughs> yeah, the old, the old driving connection. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's that's late. The um, I was gonna ask about. So this has come up a few times. I'm curious if you can give us some insight here. The uh, the tactical approach of John Harks. I will say I've I've heard from people that Harks's plan in the that first year was like boys just go out there and try shit was it more structured than that or was that generally the direction john was very much like a a player's coach like that uh i mean we like we would have tactics i think that's probably an oversimplification okay Uh, but yeah like he's he's skewed that way for sure right now I'm, i'm i'm good with that right because the thing is like in the usl especially right where if you've got a budget and you've got good players, like you don't need to recreate the wheel, right? That actually would drive me nuts because we had <laughs> you know, Alan. Alan was yeah. the option where Alan would want to come in, and Alan's whole thing was like, you know, I never had the same training exercise in the same year for Vancouver, and you know, changing up tactics and whatnot. And like that's an approach as well. But for me in the USL at that time, if you spend more on players, which Cincinnati did spend more than most and had better individuals than most. Like you don't need to recreate the wheel. Like you don't need to give a shit that this team is playing a four, three, three. So you got to set up this way and shut down the flanks or whatever it may be. Like put the ball down, go out and impose your game on these guys. And more often than not, you're going to come out with three points. Right. So um, that was definitely John's approach. I think that was what him and Ryan were both very good at as well. was just like, Hey, like we're going to instill confidence. Like it's kind of layered on the players that they brought in as well. Right. To where like there probably was better talent than most other teams. And if you're able to motivate them and get it out of them, I mean, I think we what finished like third in that, that first year, which was like pretty good for that team. Um, I will say, I'm trying to think what game this was. might've been New York Red Bulls at home, New York Red Bulls too. And I had been playing on the right. Uh, like the right, the right wing in that like four three three, and like I'm not really like a right winger, and like wasn't really having, wasn't really having like a great year, um, and we were missing a bunch of people, and uh, John like called me into his office before the game, and him and Ryan have this like legal pad that they like had this lineup on. They're like, hey, check this out. This is what we're gonna do, and they had me at the at the ten or like kind of like playing playing underneath. I think Ugo or whoever the striker was at the time, like it, and it clicked. 
And then we were rolling from there. I was playing a hell of a lot better because I like being more centrally. But uh, it was one of those things where he was like, hey, this is what we're going to do. Like they just rolled it up because they had a bunch of injuries and it's like on this like notepad. And hey, we're, we're going to roll this out, see how it goes. And, you know, <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it worked out. Right. But there's something to be said for like encouraging players to go out and be themselves, express themselves and kind of play freely. Right. Because you can definitely go too far the other way. Oh, I, I would say that first year under Harks, the team played better, was more aesthetically pleasing than any team we had seen up until probably this season in Cincinnati. Like that was like, yeah, it took a long watch. time for the team to recover, I think, like just from that free-flowing attacking style. And, and honestly, like a big part of it too, like it was just such a good group too. Like we had so much fun. That was probably one of the most fun years that I had playing, right, in eight years. Like it was just a great group of guys. Everyone would hang out off the pitch as well. Um, look at me pitch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was just a. Uh, it, it was just such a such a good group. Oh, uh, those were those were the fun years. Those are the fun years. So then, can can you confirm a story too that we may have heard Ooh, that Corbin Bone please. didn't own a car for the entire time he was in Cincinnati? It's uh, <laughs> a good question. Then he was just bumming rides from people to and from practice the entire time and just, you know. I mean, he might have. Like, we all live <laughs> in apartments and there's like 30 of us there. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I thought he had a minivan. Maybe Ooh. not. I don't know. Maybe he does now. <laughs> Maybe he does. Yeah, I guess. He's got, he's got like, what, three kids now? Four Something kids? like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I can't confirm that, actually. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do a, a deep dive and in, in some investigative journalism on that. Yeah, the, the, the least listened to serial podcast of all time. Did Corbin Bone own a car during his first year with FC Cincinnati? Well, you, if, you, if you want to go the, the true crime pro, uh, path, then uh, you can talk about how I didn't own a car for like 12 hours living in Cincinnati when it got, it got stolen from the Madmar apartments for like oh, no. 12 hours. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was fun. Like living in nice, nice Oakley, and I went out one morning, and my car's just not there, and they like found it at midnight in some alley down off Madison. Yeah. Damn. Tough. Tough scenes. <laughs> See the mean streets of Oakley. That's it's not everyone thinks it's Hyde Park near. There's some there's some sketchy parts of Oakley. You gotta be careful. I, I, I yeah, I, I learned it when I went to go pick up my car that I had to call the cops on the way to the cops to make sure the cops actually called me. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm serious. I gotta call it like I gotta call it like midnight and they're like, hey, we found your car. Like, go down Madison, make a right. You're going to go down 200 yards, and you're going to see an alley, make a right there, and drive down another 150 yards. I'm like, this sounds really fucking scary. That's a setup. That's a setup. Yeah. You don't setup. go down there. Yeah. I, I, I had a coworker that had his car stolen here in Cincinnati where he was, was out in his driveway warming it up, and it was stolen by someone that he watched them run and grab and jump into the passenger driver's seat, drive the car off. He gets a call two days later that the cops say, hey, this we found your car. It's parked on an alley somewhere. But we got some really bad news. This kid trashed the car. It's absolutely trashed. And he got in and had to play along with the cops. Just that his car was really fucking messy when it was stolen. So, he, <laughs> so the cop is trying to be sympathetic with him. Like, oh man, they really did a number on this. He's like, oh yeah, I can't believe that there's all this weeks of fast food bags in the back yeah. seat. I don't know how he accumulated oh, that much McDonald's in the span of 48 yeah, these, hours. These assholes put stale fries in the seat cushions. 
that's uh with with mine like i had a, a six uh a six cd changer um i say had like i don't still own and drive the car which i do but uh, <laughs> these guys like these these or i guess i'm being presumptuous there whoever stole the car because i never caught them uh like they went and they took out each cd from the 16 wow. <laughs> like burned cds from college like oh. that always makes me laugh a little bit whenever i'm you know getting sad or down i just think about these guys just sitting there in my stolen car just hitting the button and then waiting for the thing to change or i mean if you want to make yourself feel better maybe there's someone riding around cincinnati right now listening to your mixes from college still having a really good time that's a good maybe point that's <laughs> maybe so that's how i'm gonna crack this case so i my car gets my car gets entered, you know, not infrequently because I live, I live like close to downtown. So it's just kind of something you put up with. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, but, um, I don't, I don't keep anything in there. Although I used to keep a bunch of like CDs in the console between the, between the, get those those things out. They don't don't take them. And I get like offended. I'm like, I know somebody was in here because like the glove <laughs> compartment's open. It was rifled through, but like nobody wanted like this Johnny Cash CD or, or any oh, of this man. stuff. I'm like, you think I'm, my music's good. Like, I, I would want it. Is it? Is it? <laughs> yeah. That's so what I, I think. They probably thought they stole the, the, the car of like some like teenage, like high school girl because it was all like probably Justin Bieber and pop mixes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, well, not, I mean, not not to bring this back to FC Cincinnati and soccer. I apologize, uh, but I, I I talked to you I talked to you briefly about this before we started recording. I have to ask because to me, as we said, he's the ultimate like sort of cult hero. GB Fall, aka GB, he's a teammate of yours in your second season at FC Cincinnati. We've heard some wild stories about him. Uh, it is acclimating to the United States. What was it like to have such a, I'll say, seasoned pro as a teammate on a team of largely sort of like fringe MLSers, lifelong USL, NASL guys? What was it like to bring GB into that locker room? Uh, I mean, it was fine. I mean, he was, he was a good player. Like he was yeah. really good at finishing balls in the air, right? Like, yes. <laughs> got to give credit to him on that. Mm-hmm. Um, was it a great fit for the team? I don't, I don't think so, personally, right? I don't no. necessarily think like the 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 two sided effort was there, and I thought there was just a lot of stuff that occurred along the way in terms of like locker room fit um, mm. that I questioned a little bit, but you know. Do I know GB Fall on like a personal level? No, right? Like, I don't know. This guy was a long ways away from his family, like in a new place, probably dealing with a lot of stuff, which has got to be really difficult as well, right? Yeah. But yeah, it, you know, interesting character. But uh, <laughs> four goals in a game, man, I'll tell you, that's something. That that St. Louis game still sticks out in my mind as, as one of the single greatest, like, single game performances of an FC Cincinnati player. Uh unbelievable effort he also i mean the rest of the team put in a lot of effort as well but it's hard not to overlook the contributions he made in the open cup run uh, single-handedly scoring you know whatever it was four or five decisive game-winning goals in that run uh what towering header against columbus against that was that was my college roommate hector jimenez yeah 
which like nice. underrated around the world her around the US what I I desperately respect the fact too that that header that GB scored in the Columbus game if you look at the promotional images that Austin FC issued about what their stadium was going to look like the club level where you could buy tickets all of the TVs in the background had images of GB heading that ball in against Columbus as like one final yes. one like final a, middle yes, finger like FU, yeah right. wow. <laughs> Wow, that's yeah, that's like that's next level trolling. I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> and, and I gotta ask because you brought it up. Uh, did GB bite Niall McCabe in that game? No, he just put his teeth on his cheek and gently shut them. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, a bite, I had a bite mark on his cheek. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> I forget what Mitch's answer was, but I feel like Mitch also was convinced that GB bit him. So. Yeah, I think I think Mitch said that's just not the sort of thing you make up. That you don't. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, look, Mitch either said yes or he's a liar. It's one of the two. So <laughs> <laughs> I know I know me some Mitch. I think he said yes. He must <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I yeah he bit him. I, I, yeah. I like to, you said. Mitch said that's not something you make up. Yeah, that's not something you make up. Like, yeah. he had teeth marks on his, uh, on his <laughs> I love, I love the instinct though. What was it like going into that first match against Columbus? I mean, it's not often that USL teams get the opportunity to giant kill. What, what was the vibe going into that one? Uh, the vibe going into Columbus. Was that the first one? There's yeah. a game. That was the very first meeting. The first MLS one. Cause we'd beaten, I think, uh, Louisville. No, that was the next no, year. We beat AFC Cleveland, yeah. which had just won the NPSL, like a sneaky good amateur team. That's right. And and uh, you guys beat Louisville too as well. That's right. Because yeah. that because GB had been suspended from the league for ten games, but not from the Open Cup, and he played and scored in that one. Yes. yes. And then it was yes, Columbus. You guys suspended ten games for the bite? I think five. Five. Five? Okay. It was a long yeah. time though. <laughs> I actually didn't even recall that he got suspended for that. So, I mean, look, there's your evidence, right? Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. We have a love-hate relationship with league officials in this city currently. So sometimes when, they, when referees are, say things, we don't always believe it anymore. <laughs> what, what, are we upset, what are we upset with league officials about right now? Oh, and pick, oh. pick one. <laughs> oh, uh, so a few games ago, about a month ago, head coach Pat Noonan and uh, Lucho, uh, in post-game comments, basically said that the uh, the referees were incredibly unprofessional. They made some weird comments to them in the post-game, and they were they they weren't happy with with the way the referees treated them. Since then, it's been a very weird relationship with VAR in FC Cincinnati. Yeah. That like every opportunity to take away a goal is there, and every opportunity to find a penalty is there. It's just the strangest double standards in the same game for the same foul going opposite directions. And it's been pretty consistent. I, I'm not a, I'm not like a conspiracy theorist, but like, wouldn't you want to encourage people to speak their mind in those conferences and like get absolutely rather than like yeah. buttoning up and giving like, like the Durham response to everything. Like that's good for the league. That's good for the sport. 
Right. It's like that thing going on with Chelsea over in Europe right now, where it's like, I want to hear the manager come out and call the ref an asshole after the game. I want to have the manager going after the decisions that were made. That's just good theater. It's entertainment at the end yeah, of the day. You want, you want, you want them to ask, they asked Jesse Marsh ahead of the Leeds game, right? Like, hey, are you looking forward to the to the post-game handshake? And he goes, he's not going to be there. Like, that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, what was the question? Completely. <laughs> Just going Everybody into knows. that, it, going into that Columbus game, oh, it is yeah. the first opportunity for the two yes. cities have proximity to one another. It's yeah. a bigger deal for the fans, I'm sure, than it is for the players on the field. Where this is just, it's a big game, but it's not like you know that you know location and rivalry. That's not quite a concern at this point. But the game drew thirty thousand people. It's an yeah. opportunity for a USL team to go up against the MLS. What was the vibe like around the squad going into that game? Did you guys? Did the rivalry aspect of that factor in, or was it more, this is our opportunity to prove ourselves, these guys that you've already described as having a chip on their shoulder, this is a good opportunity to exercise that chip, so to speak? <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a different take on it. Uh, I'm pretty sure, and it's been a while, so maybe I'm misremembering, but I'm pretty sure we were not actively trying to go far in the Open Cup at that time. And Thank you. Yes. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> yeah. Like if you look at the, the, like the lineups that we put out, like for the first few rounds, they were very much like kind of mixed or second choice lineups. Um, and at that I was point, I going to ask about the Chicago lineup in particular. Chicago lineup was there. Yeah. very much a B team. Yes. Yeah. So like, I don't think we were, and I can't even recall where we were at in the league. I don't think we were like doing hot. Um, and so like, most teams at that point, um, I mean, you see it more so at MLS, right? Like they don't really prioritize until later on. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, most USL teams, you know, they'll typically prioritize that, right? Like that's an opportunity to get MLS teams in and get exposure, go on this deep run. Like, I mean, if you get the prize money too, like that's really meaningful money to a lot of USL clubs. Right. Yeah. Um, but if I recall correctly, like, I don't think we were prioritizing it. I think we were like, we're going to put out there if it works great. If not, then we're going to be able to kind of get rid of some of this fixture congestion, focus on the league and make a run there. Right. Um, so yeah, that was like 95% sure that was the approach. If I'm remember remembering correctly now, like, of course, everyone's a competitor. So anytime you get into that game, like, yeah, you're going to get up for it. Right. right. And, uh, you know, like, MLS teams hate those games because they go like, this is a game that can make that team season. Right. Like yeah. when we, you know, in the league for Cincinnati, like, especially that first year, like that was the sentiment. A lot of times you go and play these teams and it's like, they're really excited to play us. Right. They're going to get up. For it, right. That's a yeah. good problem to have. Um, so excuse me. We were like, we were definitely up for it. It's exciting. I mean, it's tough not to get up for it when you have like the atmospheres that we had there as well. Right. Um, but that really was something special. Like the run that we ended up going on, like, I mean, the, the Red Bull game, um, you know, like even though we didn't win, like that was one of the coolest sporting experiences that I've, that I've had. Right. Like just the energy in there, like it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was indescribable. Oh, no, that, that what was it? Austin Barry, I think scores the second goal against Red Bull and like, might have been one of the happiest moments of my life. It was just like, oh my god, this is happening. Yeah, like, right. oh, I was like, and, 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 you know, <laughs> oh shit, we're not doing it. Right. I was, <laughs> we're up, 
we you, we're up two nil at half, and I'm on the phone like looking at hotels.com to book in Kansas City because that I think they'd already determined they were going to host the final. I'm like, this is really going to fucking happen, right? Here. You're the asshole that jinxed us. That's yeah, it sure is. Sure is. Yep, that's me. I own that. That that and Bradley Wright Phillips just being like really good at soccer. It turns out. Yeah, yeah. Go um, figure, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Oh no! I you've been incredibly kind with your time, so I, I don't want to I don't want to take up too too much more of your time. I I am curious, um, for you. Yeah, you, you talked about it a few times throughout this that you debated going back to school at different points. How how do you determine when when to hang up the boots? Uh, it's I I have to imagine after 2017 you still you still probably had an offer or two out there from USL. What how did that decision go for you? Uh, no, I knew I knew that was my last year. Uh, I was actually ready to retire after 2015, so before even going to Cincinnati. Like, I yeah. think, like I think I told my agent, I'm like, I, I need to make this amount of money to do it, and like Cincinnati gave me an offer. And it, like, first of all, it's not like crazy money by any stretch of the imagination, right? It was enough. <laughs> probably like it was probably like a few thousand dollars off or something, and I was like, well, go back to them and tell them like I'm not doing it unless like. Like, here's the number, right? Make your job easier. There's not a ton of negotiation. It's very black and white, right? And, uh, and turns and, out you should have asked for like secure parking at the residence. I should, yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. Um, but yeah, so, so I was like, I, I, I was at a point where I was like, I'll, you know, I'll finish playing here, right? Like, I'll go back to school. Like, I'm in a good position to where, like, I'll be able to go and do something else and be successful and, you know, do better than I'm doing here in, you know, in, in the USL. Right. Um, and now I'm like, God damn it. I miss those four hour work days. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> no, so then going into Cincinnati, I had a two year deal. Uh, my now wife, she was my girlfriend at the time. Um, you know, she was going to move out with me and, you know, so basically we were like, look, like, We'll go out there. We'll do a year. If we like it, we'll stick around for the second year. If we don't, then, you know, let's call it. Right. Um, went out there, obviously had an awesome first year. Like I loved it out there. The team was great. The way that they treated all the players was fantastic. Absolute top notch. Um, so we stuck around for the second year, but like, that was, that was always going to be it. So, um, like I, I left school with a year and a half left. Um, I studied social welfare, not because I necessarily wanted to be a social worker, uh, I'm not, I'm in sales, uh, <laughs> but because that was one of, I think like two degrees at Cal where you could leave school early and then, um, you know, get a considerable amount of credits either online or other institutions that would transfer back to Cal. Right. Whereas uh, like, okay. poli sci or business or economics, I would have had to go back for a year and a half and actually be on campus. This way I was able to knock courses out online and then only have to go back for six months to get my residence, uh, to get my residency and have my degree say, you know, UC Berkeley. Um, so like I kicked it into overdrive when I got into Cincinnati, as far as, you know, taking online courses, making sure that I could get it down to the minimum that once I finished, I'd go back and be there for six months. So I, uh, I think that off season I got married on a Saturday and then, uh, and then started school on like Monday or Tuesday or whatever it was. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I have to imagine uh, a lot of uh, other soccer players don't have like their exit so well planned. I think that is that has got to be the cleanest break from a sport I've ever heard of. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not to say it didn't come without anxiety, right? But um, sure. I mean, look, there's 
no, no one is getting rich by any stretch of the imagination playing in the USL, right? Like, and yeah. I'm sure you guys are well aware of what those salaries are and whatnot. Um, and so not to, not to get, you know, too kind of bold Durham and cliche, but I was very fortunate, right. That I knew, Hey, I, I'm, you know, I've got an education to fall back on, right. Like I'm going to be able to go and do something else to where like, I'll be successful. I'll be able to like provide for a family and whatnot and achieve all these other goals or whatever. Right. Like there are a lot of people to where it's like, Hey, soccer is what I have to do. Right. Um, maybe, maybe that's why I didn't make it further because I wasn't forced and backed into the corner where I had to claw and scrape to do that. Right. Um, yeah. but yeah, there are a lot of people to where it's like, Hey, like, this is what you got to do. Right. Or, you know, you want to stay in soccer and be a coach or whatever. Right. And so you can get experience by playing, getting your licenses, get involved coaching on the side. Like there's different paths. Um, that wasn't the path that I wanted to do. Right. I knew I wanted to go and plant roots, live in one location, not have to bounce around. Right. Um, right. And that was the goal I had in mind. And that's why I was able to kind of get out in that fashion. So very, very fortunate for that. So when the topic of FC Cincinnati comes up, what's your like first one takeaway best memory of being in Cincinnati? Like when the invite comes in to do a podcast with three Yahoos still following this team, what's the first thought that pops back into your head about your time in Cincinnati? Oh man, that's like that's such a tough question. Can I uh, can I can I go away and like come back and call in for this one? (laughs) (laughs) You can send one of your two annual tweets about it. That would be good. Yeah, yeah, I know, man. My my Twitter game used to be pretty strong, and it's just uh, it's just gone by the wayside. It's probably good for your productivity, though. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's that's true. That Um, best memory. I I don't know. Like that's such a tough one. I think like Oktoberfest was awesome when we went as a team. It was ridiculous. I just everything. Um, trying to yeah. think what stories I had. I don't know. The friendships. Let's get super cliche. Oh, my little, my, my little buddy Jimmy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The bromance between you and Jimmy was incredible. That was man. We had this is like a quintessential like USL story. We had uh, so we went to Wilmington for a game, and it was like we took a sleeper bus, right? Because it was like a fourteen-hour drive. <laughs> And so, oh yeah, miserable, yeah. but the sleeper bus. So, but like it was leaving the apartments, um, at like, I don't know, like nine o'clock or 10 o'clock at night. And then we were just going to like drive through the day and get to Wilmington the next day or drive through the night and get to Wilmington the next day. And so Jimmy and I were like, all right, we got a great plan, you know, come over to my apartment, you know, we'll, we'll have some drinks. Right. And then we'll be able to get into the sleeper bus, pass out, <laughs> and wake up. You know, I've tried up. this on a flight so many times. It never works. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. We're like, we'll wake up in Wilmington. It's going to be like time travel, right? Um, and it worked perfect. Like, I kid you not. Oh. We in the bus. Oh, nice. Wake up like eight hours later. Bus is pulled. Bus is stopped. We get up like all refreshed. Got a great sleep. Get out. We're on the side of the road because we had a breakdown like two and a half hours from <laughs> We were waiting. We were waiting for like I guess the only person with a part was in Dayton and had to go back there, get the part, come back and fix the. Uh, the, the the rest the, the next twelve hours, eleven hours of that drive were miserable. But that's like that's that's like as USL gets. The broken down bus. Yeah, that feels that feels pretty USL. <laughs> yeah, but like that. I mean, it's we had a bunch of like the the bus rides. Honestly, were like some of the most fun parts because you would you know, you'd go out to these games and you play the game and you just bust back through the night. Right. And so like a lot of yeah. times if we won, you know, the first stop would be 
go get a bunch of pizzas, stop at a gas station and get a bunch of beer. Right. And then everyone's just on this bus, like having some drinks, having a great time. Like it was, uh, like it's, it's, it's simple stuff, but like that was, that was a lot of fun. Right. And if you lost, what would you get to the gas station? Like just liquor. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. Pizza, pizza, and beer. You know, <laughs> like, turns out they're, they're 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 not they're not paying me enough to internalize this too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's great. Um, I don't know if it, if you're if you're in a role. I, I have to admit, I, I didn't go into LinkedIn for my research, but. Uh, I don't know if you want to tell the people what you're up to now. I don't know if you want to plug whatever it is you got going on or, or if it's pluggable. I, I don't know where you're at. I don't know. Cincinnati's a little landlocked, so I don't know if I'm going to have much of a dredge demographic out that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys got TQL. TQL is a big you know, broker and logistics company, so maybe they got a need. Uh, no, so I'm, uh, I, am, uh, I believe my title is Director of Business Development for a company it's called – a good title. It sounds nice, right? Yeah. Looks good on the business card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Still have no idea what I'm doing, but that's that. Um, for a company called Dre Alliance. So we are a, uh, we're a drage provider out of Long Beach. Drage is where you pick up containers from the port, and then you deliver them to the next location. So we have a uh, kind of like an Uber-like model for that, where we partner with these small companies. We give them a platform, a mobile app to go and access the jobs. And then we have like a tracking and visibility system for our shippers, which uh, it's uh, it seems really simple. I mean, you can like track your Domino's pizza, but uh, that's not <laughs> something that is overly accessible in this industry. And it is super helpful. That's what we do. That's awesome. It's actually like, I, I didn't know what Drage was before I joined this company two years ago, but it is like logistics supply chain are just like the most fascinating thing. And yep, stuff that I think agree. I know I did, and I think most people just take for granted. But it's like the amount of just oh, precision that goes into all of this to I, get everybody their shit is incredible. I don't think anyone takes the supply chain Unmore, for granted yeah, these days. <laughs> yes. You you get one boat stuck in the uh, the Suez Canal, and all of a sudden everyone's a logistics expert. No, Andrew, you've been incredible. This was so much fun. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, being so generous with your time. I, we've gone pretty far over what I thought we would, so uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, no, seriously though, this has been awesome. So I appreciate you guys reaching out. I had a ton of fun. Oh, and we're we're back. Oh, wait a minute! What consummate professional this guy is! Incredible. He confirmed a, uh, confirmed a long-standing conspiracy theory you've had, Kev, about the yes. the desire or lack thereof to make a deep open cup run back I knew in it. back in the day. I knew it. I knew <sighs> if this was an Alan Koch decision. I'm furious at the man. It may be unforgivable. If this was a, an organizational decision, I've got bigger questions. But goddamn, I knew they were trying to throw that open cup right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was like my that, gosh. that episode of South Park where they all play baseball and all the kids keep trying to lose and the truly great team they come up against is the one that can hit their bats to force <laughs> yes. them to score runs. So that they have to continue playing baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I 
that's that was that was starting uh Kadeem Dakers and Aiden Quinn against the Chicago Fire and um yeah no absolutely oh my gosh so uh we're on to the latest installment of Hell is Real of course Wiedemann got to play in that first uh matchup there uh I mean this one was a, a a wild one leading up to this because I don't know about you guys, but I've been tracking the prices on SeatGeek and the Bailey is an expensive ticket. I'm getting told there are great seats available in the corners for like $175. Uh, the dynamic pricing, I, I assume both of you are season ticket holders. Um, thoughts, feelings on this? Is this good? I, you're good. good. You're good with it? I'm yeah. good. You know what? If you don't want to subject yourself to the market whims or the club deciding to raise prices for big games, buy a season ticket. Honestly, it's it's a very, very simple solution to this problem. If you want to be guaranteed a seat at the biggest matches, and this is the biggest match of the year for this team, this is the rivalry match, it's the derby, um, if we want to go that route. (laughs) Um, If you want to be guaranteed a seat to that, your seat, at the price that you the the rock bottom price buy a season ticket no problems with it whatsoever yeah so i think it's a little so for one i i, I kind of i generally agree i mean i think the the question is are are they pricing themselves out of having the stadium as full as it could be and nobody That's could my worry. nobody yeah. could know the answer to that question until the game happens and i mean that's that's a that's also a question of with literally every game. Is I've heard te- I've heard tell the Bailey is over ninety percent sold. So, so. But, but as for like but yes like I don't think this is actually affecting all that many people because there's a lot of people that that owns that have season tickets and there's also a lot of people I assume who don't have season tickets who had already circled this game on their calendar and bought their tickets a while ago and I'm yep. not. And, and look, yeah. if you didn't do that, and seventy-two dollars is that's a lot of money, right? And that sucks that that you got to spend that to go to this game. Um, but but if you don't just, have season, if you don't have season just, tickets, then this is your one game you go to. Then is seventy-two dollars a lot of money? It's like objectively, yeah. But if this is the one game that you want to go to as a person without season tickets, then right. I mean, yep. you're 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 still yeah. If you're still coming out ahead, if you didn't buy a season ticket and you just want to go to this game because it's the big one and you know that they're good now and you were waiting before making the investment in the team to see what they look like, then yeah. You, you, yeah. Can, you can also buy this like what, like four game packages or in the season. You don't have to buy like a, you don't have to buy a full season if you don't right. want to. Right. Um, but I will say from my experience, um, it's not been hard to sell my tickets for games I can't go to at mm. at least some markup. You know, not, yeah, always, not always not always a huge one, but like I have sold I don't know, a handful of games this year just because it conflicted with like travel or whatever. And each time it's been a, above face. Like um I sold one set for like I think a hundred and ten Per ticket, so yeah. This this has been the first year that I have not taken a bath on tickets. Like I have 
because I am a you know member of a supporters group and I am pledged to sell at face value, yada, yada, yada. At the very least this year, I've gotten my money back on every single one of the games that I haven't been able to go to. And that's a huge change from the last couple years where I couldn't give these away down yeah. the stretch with how bad the team was. Yeah, the uh, the Pride uh, ticket ticket exchange and the uh, the Bailey Facebook group uh, ticket ex- uh, exchange, at least last year, was always just like, I don't know, hundreds of people saying, got two tickets free to a good home, and <laughs> just like nobody could give away a ticket to a to an open hand. Um, so yeah, I, I, the, uh, so the, I, I, I guess I didn't know, I guess, that I was pledged to sell at face value. But <laughs> I think it's just Bailey tickets, honestly. Oh, okay. I think it's well, Bailey I do tickets. Think it's different. I, I do think yeah. it's different in the Bailey because the Bailey's not sold out all season, right? Right. So, yes. like, I could see Bailey tickets being harder to – get rid of on a week-to-week basis, especially if you're not in a supporters group and don't have access to the ticket exchange. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. I will also say, if you were trying to... If if this was the one game you had circled, I believe if you bought these tickets a week or two ago, you would have gotten them at roughly the normal value. I believe this spike happened within the last 10 days or so. Uh, I could be wrong about that. Feel no, free to correct you, me. Think- I'm 90% certain you're correct on that. I think you could have gotten these at face value if you bought them at the start of the year. Absolutely. Start of the year for sure. Um, but, I mean, it's hell is real. It's rivalry week. And uh, I, I honestly thought we were going to bring this article up last week when we when we mentioned Soccer Blog Book Club. Uh, this is one that was brought up to us uh, through a number of people uh, were, were tagging us on this article. This is... This is a doozy. Uh, Grayson, would you would you care to do the honors again? Yeah. So first, before I get to the article <laughs> itself, um, I want to kind of talk about the publication that it's in. Please. It's I'm on a web- about this. It's I know a- nothing about this, by the way. So this is going to be electric. It's on a website <laughs> called Inside Hook, which I had never heard of. So when I saw Makes- this article, I thought, "What is what is this website? So I clicked the About Us page. And here's what it says. At Inside Hook, we're fond of calling ourselves, quote, the go-to news and luxury lifestyle recommendation platform for the affluent on-the-go gent, unquote. (laughs) (laughs) But what does that mean, really? Essentially, it shakes out like this. As a man becomes more successful, his free time tends to shrink. So while he may have the means to be up there living his best life, What he doesn't have is the time to sift through the mountain of information out there telling him what to do with his most precious of commodities. So like the fact that we all have time to sit and record this podcast, does that reflect negatively on our various levels of affluence? We're we're already not the target demo here. It's a damn it. (laughs) I would say the idea that like as you get more money, you have less time. That's that's a joke. Like there is like there is like there is like a there is like a journey, right, where you get to a certain level that is far below affluent, right, where you're yes. like working all the time. But if you're really rich, you got tons of free time. Yes. Passive yes. income, brah. <laughs> um, that's where we come in. Inside hook is that guy's consigliere, dutifully Ooh. scouring the globe to find the most timely, important news information, and luxury lifestyle intel, and then delivering oh it God. to his inbox, desktop, smartphone, etc. 
From news, sports, entertainment to travel, style, and dining, our editors are passionate about bringing our audience the latest and greatest. Our style and gear experts recommended items that are rigorously tested, vetted, and genuinely (laughs) coveted. All of this is work we take seriously, and we've been at... I think there's a... I think there's a mistake here. I think there's a word missing. And we've been at for almost a decade. I think it's we've been at it for almost a decade. <laughs> there's, hey, there's, been on time. Th- th- there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that everyone involved in this website was all in the same fraternity together in college. So let us do it for you. Why don't you? We promise you'll be glad you did. So I want to translate what all that means. This is an ad website. This is a place where people who are trying to sell to a certain upper middle class demographic that they pay this website. And this is speculation. This is me reading between the lines here. But this is like an in-flight magazine. This is a place people go where they pay for um, space. They sponsor content to, to promote a product or another. Right. So, so it's like to, it's like it's Sky Mall, but they only put the magazine in the first class seats. Yes. Yeah. So I I pulled up the website because now now I'm looking at this with with fresh eyes. The uh, the the number one article, at least the one in the top left corner, is review. We tasted one of the most sought after bourbons of the year. That bourbon of the year, most sought after, is a uh, Four Roses uh, barrel strength, which can <laughs> be bought at every single liquor store. I have that downstairs in my liquor cabinet as we uh, speak. Yeah. Uh, but the number one, or at least the one getting the most inches on my screen here. Meet the former Army Ranger helping, I want to be clear, helping to bring back the tucked-in tea look. Boys, Wait. we got a veteran tucking in his t-shirt. Let's write an article. Wait, this is a snazzy Ray, belt buckle, this is a too. Ray, wow. This is a Ray Gaddis sponsorship opportunity. We need to get Ray Gaddis <laughs> and this guy together. 15 lingerie brands men should know, none of which are Victoria's Secret. She will thank you. Trust us. Oh, boy. <laughs> fellas, fellas, what are you buying your ladies right now? The inside hook. <laughs> All right. So. All right. So, so they so run without, about the Columbus crew. I. So I, I also want to say that this article is fucking long. So we're not going to get through all of it, but it is still worth. We'll put the into. link out. Yeah, yeah we'll, 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 we'll blast the link out because people should should take some time on the shitter and read it. <laughs> uh, chance cheers and beers with the most powerful fans in sports wow we wow. embedded with the columbus crew super fans known as the nordeca for one wild weekend oh my god <laughs> this is by michael stall and on right. this and on this particular seventh day in mid-july 2022 over columbus ohio god did not rest Instead, he punished, tearing open the heavens to pour an inch of rain on the city and spoil some hotly anticipated afternoon revelry. The Nordeca, a fan group among the diehardiest of diehards across U.S. team sports, having sworn allegiance over blood and beer. To Why, why was there blood? <laughs> well, I mean, they're, di- they're diehard. Like, you remember the movie Die Hard? He like walks over broken glass. There's blood fucking everywhere in that's that movie. True, that's true. Die Hard fans. Yeah. yeah. They're, so they're, they're literally fans of the movie Die Hard. <laughs> and this, this isn't even like Die Harder. This is Die Hardiest. Die Hardiest. 
I'm shocked they haven't made a Die Hardiest right now. Actually, now that we're saying that out loud. Die Hardiest streaming show. of Die Hards across U.S. team sports, having sworn allegiance over blood and beer to Major League Soccer's Columbus crew, did not merely have a pregame tailgate planned. No. To manifest a crew rallying cry, the Nordeca, which during matches fills the stands in lower.com fields north end with 3,500 screaming maniacs, always strives to be massive. So, after Sunday night's crew-themed thrash metal concert, Sunday, July 17th, would bring a block party blowout to Battelle Plaza in downtown Columbus. That's pretty fucking metal. Battelle Plaza? You kidding me? Right. <laughs> Surprised they didn't call it Nakatomi Plaza since they're all into Die Hard. You guys going to the plaza later? Right. <laughs> Hundreds, maybe thousands, would flock to the stretch of open-air real estate. There'd be maybe drink thousands. specials in three different bars, a yard sale of Nordeca merch, as well as games, music, and cheer. Then I don't doubt horde... that most Nordeca merch ends up at a yard sale, so that's <laughs> probably on. Then the Horde would make its customary 20-minute march to Lower.com Field as match time approached. 20 minutes is from the closest bar. Also, their customary march, they started marching for the first time last year. But, all right, sure, right. it's a tradition. Because, I mean, if it hadn't been last year, they would have been marching from the McDonald's that was across the street from the <laughs> massive parking lot at the fairgrounds. But God wouldn't allow all that. Oh God See, this damn! They're they got enemies with the Lord. This guy's oh, got a man. this guy's got a theme. You know, he's a he's a writer. Right. The Nordeco <laughs> was in the midst of a weekend long anticipatory celebration of Sunday evening's contest between the crew and its biggest rival, FC Cincinnati, a yearly clash with bragging rights so biblically proportioned, uh-huh. its stakeholders call it the Hell Is Real Derby. Oh, I get it. Also, it's a uh, twice just, a year. But also, whatever. it's just right. hell is it's just hell is real. Yeah, <laughs> it's not the Hell is Real Derby. It's just Hell is Real. Well, I mean, it's a Col- it's yes. it's a Columbus thing, so they have to add the V in there unnecessarily. Yep, they love articles. <laughs> per- I I can't overstate like how much I hate this guy's right. I just hate it. It's, it's perhaps the man upstairs was upset <laughs> over the promotion of something so sinister, and decided to temper the proceedings with poor weather. There would be no games at the block party, and little merch would be sold. So that's about a normal wow. crew game, then. So, <laughs> I mean, I do think I, I I have said on many occasions that the uh, Columbus crew are an affront to God, but I never thought that that you know God felt the same God way. Bro, them. what if I just did an article where I just use lots of God references since it's hell is real, bro? That'd be so. Sick. Yeah, his thesis here is that it rained because the game is called Hell is Real, and God was pissed off about it. So he rained out their little march. Which, there are many different descriptions of hell that you can find throughout literature and history. Uh, Dante famously said it was cold. You know, we've got a lot of the fire and the flames that come from traditional Christian mythology. In no depiction of hell have I ever read is it raining, which is interesting. Rain rain implies, like, growth and, like, nourishment to plants. Like, I don't know. I mean... If we can keep with the biblical references, it's also how God killed everything when you know He got mad because that used to be a thing that we that the, oh, the God don't used give to... him ideas. We're we're just a few we're a few graphs into this bad boy. We might right. have a flooding reference. Get, get an arc get an arc encounter <laughs> reference in here somewhere. In addition to be massive, another Nordeca credo that's been passed down from pre-existing crew supporters groups is: show up, drink beer, watch soccer. 
But the How community, original. But the community <laughs> has become far more than an excuse to indulge in both alcohol and the intoxicating thrill of sports. Oh, I get it. In the 14 years since the Nordeca, pronounced Nordeca. So, so he, we're like five graphs into this article and he's finally telling us how to pronounce yep. Nordeca. That's, that's cool. The collective conducts community outreach and coordinates social awareness campaigns. It might also be the most powerful organization of its kind in the country. The most powerful nonprofit? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, man, the Red Cross is taking some strays in this fucking article. I just read a New York Times article that, like, Leonard Leah's new dark money group got a single $1.6 billion donation from some guy. Like, nobody, fo- nobody send this article to, like, the Koch brothers because they're just going to uh, triple their donations at the thought that someone might be coming for the throne. It's members also have- worth pointing out, Harvard is a nonprofit, but okay, continue. <laughs> its members have gone to war with multiple crew ownership groups about critical crew franchise decisions. And on each occasion, the Nordeca prevailed. I each, genuinely just, each I just occasion. don't believe that. <laughs> each occasion. occasion. Every single each. fucking time. It's amazing beer Every doesn't cost 50 cents. Every times. <laughs> the true witching hour this Sunday at Whistling Keg starts when the clock, when the clock strikes 5.40 p.m. Kickoff Does the against... clock really strike 5.40 p.m. incidentally? Yeah, no, no, no I've strike, never... No. You strike a gong or a chime or something. <laughs> but you strike it on like the hour. On the top and bottom of the hour. There's like, what kind of fucked up clock is chiming at 540? Kickoff against FC Cincinnati is about 120 minutes away, and the 80s synth rock classic Africa fills the space. As sure as Kilimanjaro rises like Olympus above the Serengeti, the Nordeca knows what's next. Oh my god. Oh my god. They know that they must do what's right. Frightened of this thing that they've become. I'm dying at the, the, the Africa references now. <laughs> um, replacing Africa over the saloon sound system is Elvis's can't help falling in love. As is custom before and after games in bars and stadiums alike, the Nordeca representatives link their bodies together, slowly sway and sing to the tune. Wise men say only fools rush in, but I can't help falling in love with crew. So, like, I I hear everything we're reading so far, and I just, I picture the target demographic of Inside Hook, the affluent person (laughs) that doesn't know what to do. None of this sounds appealing to someone with seven figures in the bank. Like, (laughs) not one bit of it. A review of the foods in whatever their tunnel club equivalent is, or whatever. right, or if like this is really for like affluent people, it's like I descended off the uh, the private jetway at the Columbus Municipal Airport, not the real one, the one that all the rich people go into, right, and I was right. whisked away in a car with champagne and caviar to my luxury suite. Not like I'm at a bar singing fucking touch tunes. Right. <laughs> Listening to, like, two shitty songs. Whatever. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm skipping a little bit, because like I said, this is fucking long. The whole <laughs> B-massive ethos started as a joke of self-deprecation. As one clue bro- crew blogger wrote, Massive was born of a disrespected team playing a disrespected sport in a disrespected city. They're so f- fucking snowflake. Like, yeah, the, the, yes. the, the skin Jesus. is thin. Uh, and w- it wasn't an inside joke. It was because Columbus Crew won a write-in 
uh, deposit campaign of all of the potential MLS markets to be the first MLS franchise. They were the largest fan group, hence massive. That's where it comes from. It wasn't a joke. It was like the award they won for having the largest write-in campaign. And then they just immediately forgot they had a team for the next 20 years. At that same time, the crew played in the smallest market of MLS, which was not part of the big four North American pro sports leagues. Even within Columbus city limits, the crew always served as second, really like fourth or fifth, fiddle yes. to Ohio State University's uber prop popular American football program. Also, that's, that's just patently false. Columbus is twice the size by city population as Kansas City. It's not even close. <laughs> right. So crew right. supporters sarcastically applied the term massive to their favorite team, chanting, we are massive. In call and response style, and displaying the phrase on banners, shirts, and anywhere else words could be printed. But the Nordeka's penchant for comedy belies the seriousness with which its members take their crew fandom and ostentatious ways they express their unwavering devotion to the team. Um, okay. For example, like, great, great. They're they're creative. Wow. <laughs> the the only supporters group in North America that engages in any creativity. It's, it's incredible. Um, the collective's creativity is so robust, they have regular meetings with crew ownership to smooth out logistics for member engagement at matches and pre- and post-game festivities. No one else Wait, does why do they, that. Why do, they, why do they need to do that? They win every fight. Why would you yeah. even bother? Why would you have a meeting? You would go and dictate terms, and if you don't get the terms you want, we are massive. We win every encounter. Yes. That also uh, is not creativity. It's pretty fucking, like, boring boardroom shit to go to meetings. It's like their robust creativity has them in regular board meetings with the clutch. Like, that's not creative. Um, for example, a Nordeka Tifo team constructs a, well, massive banner prior to home matches and utilizes a pulley system behind the north end goal to raise it before kickoff. This is all carried out with the okay of ownership and stadium management. Wow, that never happens anywhere else. <laughs> right? Literally how do they? How do they, how, how do? how do they get away with this? I mean, man. Wow, they won if that only, battle. If, if only we could be hoisting a tifo on a pulley system this weekend. If only. <laughs> Inside Lower.com Field, still sixty minutes shy of game time, the Nordeka is already chanting, "Clap, clap, clap, Columbus! Clap, 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 Columbus!" <laughs> Are they actually chanting the claps? Because that would be electric if they did. I'm not going to lie. The most creative group in the entire universe. Clap, 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 Columbus. Sorry. Uh, it was so creative you made Grayson lose his place. I know. No, 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 no. He's no. just blown just... away by like, wait, they clap and say the name of the city they're from? Holy shit. In fairness, we don't have a chant that is clap, 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 Cincinnati, clap, clap, clap. <laughs> the noise of the Nordeka is relentless. Standing at the top of the section with Chris Lamacchia, the Nordeka's communications director, who arranged this article to be written. <laughs> we have to shout to hear each other's words, yet I calculate the section is only 20% full with bodies. Lamacchia explains the stadium's overhangs are protecting fans from the drizzle, that's not what I heard. That's not true. That's not true. While also deflecting much of the crowd noise back into the stands. It's a hot box of sound. Did he I mean, say the I section's always, I, only twenty percent full? Well, I, this is like this is like an hour before game. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Al, al, so also, uh, 
Also, this guy, uh, Michael Stahl, has a very different definition of the word hotbox than I do. But, you know, <laughs> fair play. One reason the Nordeca is so energetic is its members' average age. We have a very, very young demographic in the section, says Lamakia, who at 40 is among the oldest people around. The seats are bleacher-style and cheap. There are no backrests. Older members graduate to better seats in other sections, like midfield. The Nordeca is also fairly diverse. Similar to the city in which it is based, the group is predominantly white. (laughs) (laughs) But there is a particularly conspicuous contingent of Hispanic and Asian American crew fans present for the Hell is Real Derby. They intermingle with ease. I always like a guy who says, there are a conspicuous amount of minorities here. They they integrate with ease, (laughs) you know, unlike they normally do. Right, like talking about damning with faint praise, it's like, look at that. They're talking to people that don't look like them. What what an amazing concept. Like, wow. This guy appears to be, like, more amazed, yeah, that, like, minorities... And, and and the whites are getting along as much as he is in, like, an average American soccer fan base. Um, this article would be way more fun about, like, an NPSL team. <laughs> the fact that it's MLS and it's Columbus is, like, the worst. It's, it's almost patronizing, too, where it's right. like, I showed up at the Nordeca and look at all this incredible shit. It's like, no, this is just every ML, the worst run MLS team still has a supporters group that does all of this. Right. right. It's mostly white everywhere, unless you're in L.A. It's not yeah. fucking um, strange. <laughs> impassioned crew fans, including many members of the Nordeca, which was on its way to becoming the team's signature supporters group, organized. The hashtag Save the Crew Advocacy Group was formed spreading awareness and building a coalition of local businesses, politicians, law firms. Yes, yeah, so your your typical grassroots uh, constituency. <laughs> right. right. Uh, Soccer politicians, supporters, businesses, dark money. and fucking law firms. <laughs> and fans that would rally behind the cause of keeping the team in Columbus. Fans of rival clubs waved Save the Crew flags during MLS games inside their own stadiums, and Save the Crew banners were unfurled in Europe, Asia, and Australia. Even Arnold Schwarzenegger showed his support, posing for a photo with a crew scarf in Los Angeles. He posed for a photo with a rando. Like, <laughs> right. come on. At a meet and greet. What would be more like interesting Arnold, if... Arnold Schwarzenegger out there, like, look at this, save the crew. <laughs> like, he doesn't know what the fuck's going on. In the end, Precourt got his team in Austin, but it wasn't the crew. Kind of, kind of, kind of was. Yeah, no, it was, it was definitely the crew. After yeah, a, a year bit. of grassroots initiatives that drew the attention of the state's attorney general, who had nothing bad to say about, and new ownership <laughs> groups, Columbus's soccer team was saved. Like the Kennedy assassination, but with inverted emotions, every crew fan who was alive when news broke that the club would remain in Columbus remembers where they were and what they were doing on October 12, 2018. If they, were being, else, if, they were, if they were being honest with themselves, it was they were rereading Modell's Law in the Ohio Revised Code and giving thanks <laughs> to the fact that before most of them were even adults, uh, the state of Ohio had passed a law to make it very difficult for sports teams to relocate, and this was all a fucking charade. I, I, wanna, I do want to point out that the way this is written, they're comparing crew fans <laughs> To the Kennedy assassination. This is a a pet pet peeve. They're saying, like the Kennedy assassination, every crew fan. That means the crew fans 
are the Kennedy assassination. You could say like with the Kennedy assassination or like the Kennedy assassination, the news of the team's safety, you know, resonated with everybody. And also, there are so many like other positive things that you could use instead of the Kennedy assassination as everybody remembers where they are. Like the moment we landed on the moon. That's a positive thing that everybody remembers. No, let's go with that. Just like 9-11. Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) (laughs) The crew being saved. Right, or like you could have like gone Columbus local, just like the time Ohio State won a national championship. No, they went with the time they domed a president. What? That's and this author isn't that old. I don't think he remembers when when Kennedy was assassinated. This is a weird thing. It's like like everybody remembers where they were when they heard Lincoln was shot. It's like, right. All right. Like everybody remembers the time they saw the movie JFK, where they were. <laughs> a few hours later, a community group dedicated to economic growth called the Columbus Partnership. I would like to see their donor list. Uh, yeah. A community group of community members dedicated to economic growth. Hmm. which had worked to find a solution to the crew crisis, released a statement saying the franchise had obtained new ownership that would keep the club in the city. I just remember everybody cheering in a really incredible way, Barger said. Uh, Me. Yeah. (laughs) It was an incredible way of cheering, not your normal type of cheering, but it was an incredible cheer. Oh, my God. A few months earlier, Dean Napoli was so emotionally fraught over the prospective loss of the crew that it cost him his job. What the fuck? <laughs> in his previous too office, much time on Twitter. <laughs> in his previous office, he was the crew fan, and coworkers constantly asked him how he felt about the team leaving, which at the time seemed to be a foregone conclusion. One day, I absolutely snapped because somebody asked me. Are you going to still cheer for the crew when they move to the Austin? <laughs> <laughs> and that was the day. And that was the day he was fired for decking Pam and Sales. Yeah. yeah so Dean Napoli recounts, but his memory gets fuzzy from there. Right. I can't remember <laughs> what I said. But everything what, went red. But whatever it was, it led to me getting fired. <laughs> wow. Oh man. So oh, he ca- he called a well-meaning woman just trying to make conversation to see you next Tuesday, and all of a sudden he's meeting with HR, and it's yeah, all man. the fault of Anthony Precourt. <laughs> you can't you can't say anything, you can't even talk to women these days <laughs> without getting without getting canceled. You can't just you know. But then he went on to inside no book and saw that hand. there was such a great deal on lingerie that his woman will enjoy. Absolutely. Yeah, who's the who's the who's the affluent market for the guy who got himself fired screaming at some at somebody about the Austin crew? I'm sorry. I wouldn't say if you're if you're affluent, your job will withstand a uh, one single angry outburst at a coworker. Uh, just in general, I think you're, right. you'll survive. I would that- I would like to see that to be like the new excuse that guys use like andrew cuomo it's like no i was just really distraught about what was going on with the columbus crew it's like he's going in or he's going in for like a job interview and it's like hey there seems to be a gap in your resume right here of about three or four years can you explain to me what you were doing sure can't save the crew (laughs) save the crew um Let's see. The Nordeca has 2,700 dues-paying members today. The group launches charitable initiatives, like its recent clothing drive for the Kaleidoscope Youth Center, a local LGBTQ plus support group. I only read this part because I want to mention <laughs> that the Pride, on its own, out-Pride raised all of Nordeca. This is yes. true. 
Yes. By a significant amount, too. By a significant amount. Um. And that's per goal, not total amount either. Yeah. Um, when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, the Nordeca not only raised the TIFO reading, we dissent, which was extremely powerful and made everything better. It asked its members <laughs> to donate money they would have otherwise spent on beer to match to a local abortion fund. Um, I <laughs> Wasn't the, the we dissent, it's a take on Ruth Bader Ginsburg's. I dissent. Yeah, thing, right. Which you could. She's dead. Argue she's she's the reason why this is all an issue. But yes. Yeah. You 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 could you, you could argue that, but we're not going to do that here. <laughs> this action not only single signaled to its members that leadership would back women's rights organizations. It also sent a message to crew ownership that it expected the franchise to respond to the court's decision as well. And since the Nordeca wins all of its uh, matchups with the ownership group, the ownership group quickly. And immediately and forcefully condemned the Dobbs decision, and also pressured the no that didn't happen. Fuck. And oh. also and also and also didn't sign Deshaun Watson yeah. to a guaranteed money <laughs> right. deal for two hundred fifty million dollars. Immediately turned around and spent more money on Deshaun Watson than they have crew payroll the last ten years combined. <laughs> uh, then some people. So there are some people who are upset with the Nordeca's actions who have taken to social media to vent their frustrations. Um, An Instagram user commented under one Nordeca post protesting the Roe v. Wade decision. No matter skin color, race, or gender, we are a fan base there to support our team, not political issues. In another Nordeca post about the issue, a user commented, another reason to continue not buying your membership, LOL. Yeah, um... Nothing about like what the club did in this article. That's yeah. that's interesting. That's that's, that's fascinating. It, what a did, battle won. If you scroll down, does it does it? If you scroll further down, do they talk about how they influenced the club's decision and changed policy here? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's unfortunate. Uh, I don't know if you guys glanced at his Twitter account. I, I'm looking at it right now. So, article post. We can we can cut on, this stuff. <laughs> no, article posts on 8-11. On 8-2, he tweets, when you write a long-form piece for an internet publication and the editor tells you they tried really hard to make cuts but can't because it's so tight. <laughs> <laughs> he has to be talking about this piece, yes? <laughs> I, I, I have no notes. Hashtag... Hashtag writer's life, hashtag am writing, hashtag freelance, hashtag freelance life, hashtag freelance writer, hashtag reporter, hashtag writer. I read, I actually, that actually brings up I wish, brings I, was, up I, wish I was making, I wish I was making all those up. That's, that's oh, he has every four, single hashtag. He has four likes. We must be affluent because none of us have the free time to write. What can we say? God, that is so true. You know, at some point earlier this year, I think even on the podcast, I teased a uh, an overhauled website, and uh, I think I've been paying for a Squarespace site ever since then. That has not seen the light of day. So I'm glad I'm glad I did that. Well, the good news is we collect enough advertising revenue on this podcast to cover all of your expenses. I'm sure that is yes. true. Thank yeah. God for the Patreon where we uh, keep keep all of our insightful. But also controversial uh, takes that. Yeah, on the pa- on the Patreon version of the postcast, it runs for four hours. 
Yes, yes. The post. You get what you pay for. I think that's the tagline. You here. get seven extra references to 9 11. 9 did come up twice. Yeah, my. my, my <laughs> what the my fuck, old, man? My, fa- <laughs> my favorite of the rules of acquisition. You get what you pay for, and absolutely nothing more. <laughs> oh man this is uh, this is fun this is this is this is good this is soccer soccer content guys uh i think we have to end it there because uh, i'm gonna spend the next 24 hours cutting this podcast down <laughs> you might have two podcasts worth of shit here this is good we I just won't record say, next uh, week i, I mean FC's i'm tempted to just release the Wiedemann episode on its own tomorrow and then do the rest of this. Uh, FC is going to win three, nothing against Columbus. Uh, two from Brenner, one from Vasquez and uh, let's go. And uh, Lucho assists all three. All right. Four, four, two Columbus scores on two penalties as the refs desperately attempt to give them the result. <laughs> yeah. Two yes. penalties in, in stoppage time of the second half. I was, was going to say there's, this game is screaming for a 90 plus minute penalty. So yes. <laughs> uh, well, that's where we're going to have to end it uh, because literally if we don't, I, my computer will crash trying to edit this. So um Goodbye. Thank you for listening. And uh, God bless you if you made it to the end of this. And fuck Columbus. Mm.